Hello and welcome to The Queer Experience. My name is Eric, I use pronouns. And today we are talking about tabletop role-playing games, but specifically talking about games that are not the big dragon game. And I think by extension, also not the pathfinding game because they're kind of same enough. Yes, yes, Mr. Ray. What about the big dungeon game? The big, I hate you. <laughs> not, we're not talking about that one either. I assume that's also a Nick's on space searching, right? Like that's also, we're not playing that one either? Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, but as you can hear, I have other people with me here to talk about stuff. And right. so what I'm going to do is have everyone go around the circle as you all are on the screen. And if you could just tell us your name, uh, your pronouns, and I don't know, a fact about non-D&D games. Maybe one you've played that you really liked, the first one, one you've written. I don't care, whatever you want to say. And I will start with our illustrious guest, Starshine. Hi, I'm Starshine Squibbles, they, them. I'm a TTRPG designer, and I'm going to be shilling for Honey Buns, which is one of my favorite games of all time, which is basically imagine if you were the Able Sisters from Animal Crossing, but rather than clothing, you make cakes. It's the, one of the most delightful solo games I've ever played, and the massive notebook that I filled up due to it is testament to that. That's so adorable. It's so good. Because I love the Able Sisters. I just like playing as a hedgehog. <laughs> uh, all right, and then we're over to Hector. Hi, uh, my name is Hector. My pronouns are he, they, and... Uh... Cool. Uh, I think the indie game I'll plug is uh, Sleepaway by uh, Jay Dragon from Possum Creek Games, which has began my obsession with uh, diceless token-based games. And indie games written by queer authors in general. And Mr. Ray. Hi there, I'm Mr. Ray. I uh, use they, he pronouns. And... Um... I think the system I'm going to plug is one of my absolute favorites, Monster of the Week. Um, and I'm going to throw this out there. If you ever want to make a completely busted build that your keeper will hate, um, play a monstrous, take the move, borrow from another playbook, and uh, borrow the move Smite from the Divine Playbook, where all of your natural attacks are automatically a weakness to the monster. And um, all of the monstrous's attacks are considered natural attacks. So... Um, you're welcome, and other keepers out there, uh, step up your game. <laughs> oh, I was not surprised that Ray was going to choose the game that his podcast, uh, $2 Creature Feature, is exclusively about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and last but not least, Ryamasa. Hey, I'm Ryamasa, or John, or whatever the fuck on the internet. Um, I use he, they, sometimes she pronouns, um, and... I will probably be shilling for two games today uh, in completely opposite directions. One of which is uh, Jane Austen role-playing game, Good Society. Uh, and the other of which is uh, Grant Howitt's Havoc Brigade, which I can only describe as if Warhammer 40k orcs had to do espionage. There we go. That's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to talk about today. I, that's amazing. I love everything about what you just said. Um, and again, uh, 
My name is Eric Key, they pronouns, and I will, oh God, there's so many games that I could, I even posed the question and I'm not, the, I'm the one that's the least prepared. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with like a recent favorite that Ray will know I'm gonna, what I'm going to say, I think, which is the game Quietus. Um, it is a three player melodrama horror. So it is very much in the style of The Strangers, Oculus, Hush, like these weird, super intimate, super dreaded, you can feel the tension building and there's nothing you can fucking do to stop it. Um, we ran it for the pod. We had a super fun time with it. And then literally like two days later, I rallied two people to play another go of it because I just had so much fun running it the first time. And it's rare that I've run something a second time after we've done it for the pod, just because of how much backlog I have. Um, <laughs> but if you're really into that, like, and you got to have a good group, like I think it would be hard mm -hmm. to do with like people you don't know at all. Um, but it was, it was just delightful in all the worst ways. Um, so, uh, but I, so I don't have prepared questions for this. It's everyone. We're just going to have a chat. We're going to talk about stuff. Uh, I will kick the question out of what, when it comes to different games than the ones we, we mentioned before, uh, what are the things that you, that draw you to a, a new game? What are the things that you look for? What are the things that like speak to you in some way? And we don't have any order. So whoever feels prepared. Uh, it depends on what I'm looking for. Uh, in general, I like a really interesting setting, but sometimes I'm looking at games that I want to run, and sometimes I'm looking for something I want to be able to paint a canvas on. Mm. So yeah. there's a difference between, am I looking for an SRD? Am I looking for a toolkit game? Like, I actually got lost in a spiral where, like, I was like, okay inspired by a little bit of negativity against the dragon game how many indie fantasy toolkit games actually exist and it's a sizable list there's like over 20 mm -hmm. um but some of them come with kind of milquetoast settings some of them are either too intertwined to a specific setting like 13th age is a good example um uh and some of them are really good, like Fantasy Age. Like, the Fantasy Age is a very good example, but it does very specific things that doesn't necessarily scratch the itch I'm looking for. You can obviously tell I'm still on that journey um, of finding something. Quest is really cool. Um, so it's kind of hard to, like, for me, personally, mm -hmm. to answer that question with, like, a one specific game, because as a GM, as somebody who plays in GMs, I'm looking for different things. Oh yeah, and I think the, and the I think with my intent with the question isn't necessarily like here's my here's the game I look I've looked for, but I think it was kind of what you're look you're saying like I want stuff with interesting settings and cool world building or mm -hmm. you know cool character creation or whatever it might be. Um, Ryan Masa, I think you were trying you're about to jump in too. Well, yeah. What do you think, John? Yeah, the reason I was actually going to I was going to jump in is because I think you touched on something that is actually the core reason I look for other games, right? Because I think 
you know, when I am looking for something that is fantasy toolbox, like I am going to play the dragon game because that's the one that is these one for to work with and what most people know. But when I'm looking for games that aren't that I'm often looking for like specificity, right? I'm looking for something that the dragon game doesn't do very well. And I want to play that thing. That's the thing I want to do. So like, you know, um, can you, for example, play a band of orcs trying to infiltrate a human city while looking nothing like people and having literally no intelligence score whatsoever in the dragon game? You can do that. Will one of the character sheets be only about a man, uh, like an orc who specifically only does things with the sentence for Bog al Karuk at the end because that's the onion god that he's made up and is convinced exists? No, no, he will not. Uh, and like <laughs> that's the thing is you need it, like that's the kind of thing that you need a player to bring in order to do that. But like, for example, this is you know, referencing Havoc Brigade, that's just there. Like, I'm looking at a character, his name is Profanius, devout paladin of Bog al Karuk. His skills are hitting stuff for Bog al Karuk, shooting stuff for Bog al Karuk, and being cruel for Bog al Karuk. And if that doesn't like flavor inform me what this game is about for one character specifically, great. One of the other characters is three goblins in a trench coat. Hmm. They don't have HP. When, a go when, you, when they take a wound, a goblin dies, and you pick up a new one later. You have That's... to name all of them. I think, no, sorry, it's not three, it's six. There's six of them. You have to name every one as you find a new one to pick up a new goblin every time one of yours just expires because, again, they're tiny. Um, but it's one of those things where, like, I... That's the thing I'm looking for is, can you show me a game that knows what it's going for and is laser-focused on that thing? And that is one of the things that will drive me to really want to play it because it's going to give me something that is very different of an experience, and that's often what I'm looking for. I think that's definitely like I, novelty is such an amazing thing. There's so many games that I've picked up because they are not what I'm looking for, but the concept is so like you see, what is this? Like uh, unnavigatable being one of those games for me is like uh, how you're preserving a website that's going down into one of the old free website builders and it goes down. How do you preserve it? And you sit there going, I've never wanted this before, but now you mention it. That's a very good question. That, I love that specificity how a lot of indie games are going into these very unique directions, telling stories that are very specific, you know, this is, and, this and that's is, great. This is a good example of what Star is talking about. Uh, it's a scene called You're Not, in parentheses, a wizard. And it's very specifically about a bunch of overachievers that are going to wizard school that aren't actually wizards. I, I've <laughs> run that with some folks. Oh, you have? Oh, we haven't yes. done it for we haven't done it for the pod yet, but I've run it with a small group. Oh, I'm pretty sure that's the. I'm like, I've got my giant list over here. Uh, yeah, it was it was. Star is you are a hundred percent correct. There's just all these like oddly specific games, is what I like to call them, uh, especially in the zine scene, and they're so fun. Uh, what about you, yeah. Ray? What do you look for? Um, I I think I'm kind of in Star's corner there of just. I like just throw me a title of a game or a pitch elevator pitch of it. And the more batshit crazy it is, the more I'm on board. Like, you know, I saw mommy kissing Santa and now that fat bastard has to die. Like that's an RP that I would absolutely play and run. <laughs> like that's let's, let's go there. Or, you know, working in the dying days of a blockbuster. Like that's, that's the kind of stuff that I I want to tap into. Like that's what I go for. But then you know, sometimes I'm okay with games like Kingdom, where 
you and everybody else just play the rulers of the kingdom and you can set up different kinds of scenes to deal with scenarios and you're jumping in and out of characters. Mm-hmm. It's a great game to play with like, you know, forever DMs, by the way. Mm-hmm. Right. And the, and I was mistaken. The game I was thinking of is called Definitely Wizards. Oh. And the premise is that you're at the wizard final exams and you have to go through like a series of tests right, to convince exactly. the people watching you that you are wizards. But And it's... Um, I'm hearing a great two-part episode in this somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> you're not wizards and definitely wizards. Yeah, wizards. you're not a wizard. Well, like the playbooks <laughs> in it are so imaginative and fun. One person is a werewolf. One person is like an overachiever from the mortal world that refuses to believe that there isn't a subject that they can't conquer. Uh, and it's just all just like great. You know, they're all just like different kids that snuck into magic school to... For, for reason. reasons yeah yeah uh it's less it's more specific than kids on brooms which i love um mm. uh one of the things that i really like since we're in a room full of queer people and we're talking about indie game <laughs> is i really really like how rebellious the indie ttrpg scene has been with the magic school genre and uh reaction to a certain author uh like bravo like you know you're not a wizard you're definitely wizards um cantrip is another good example of that uh which was another one cantrip cantrip Mm. um you know and then there's that live lovely crossover with dark academia that's also going on where you have like um j dragon did midnight oil which was really cool and then there's like a couple of other like magic school uh what was the witches one there's a witch uh the witches there's like a uh, kickstarter where you play like oh yeah oh, yeah i think yeah, that yeah. kickstarter just it just wrapped up not too not too long ago yeah and i'm blanking on the name but yeah I think, you play like, I like i've had people on the pod before who were involved with it yeah and i'm blanking um, on the name and then Children of Midnight is also another well, Children of Midnight's a little bit more on the like world of darkness, like 21st century take on world of darkness kind of stuff. Uh was it but... the deck building one you were talking about? Is that it? Is the the witches, witch... all, was it all the witches? Or yes. it... all the witches, yeah. All yeah. the witches. Okay. Yeah. Is that a deck building one? Uh there's elements in it, I think. But yeah. yeah. And then um I've always hoped one day when I have the time to take Wickedness, which I don't know if anyone's ever played Wickedness. It's another three uh, person game where you play uh, a witch's coven, but you okay. play it, but it's like a non-binary witch's coven. Like all of the statements, because it was written by a trans woman, uh, all of the like playbooks, all three playbooks are like, I want to say gender neutral. They're like the old soul, the wise one. You know, they're not right. like gendered, like right. which is really really cool. Uh, and I I just got on an indie witchy tangent, but like I just really <laughs> like how do you guys feel about that? Like how people are using like indie games to kind of comment on that kind I mean, of stuff. I know, like in the backlog of things that I've got sitting around, like there's so many different games. Like we were looking to do, we did an episode around like, just what does it mean to be trans and what kind of games do you have that talk about that experience? And at this point, like that, it's just like, there's bursting, like we're bursting with content. 
to the point that I was like having to narrow down between like five or six different games, like, oh, which of these sounds the most interesting? And I think I'm excited because I'm seeing a shift from games that focus on the horrors of gender identity exploration and are leaning more into the the joy and the celebration. Um, what I played with some friends was called Those of Us Who Know Better. And it was a superhero, it was a trans superhero game with kind of an everything, everywhere, all at once vibe laid into it, where like to use your power, you had to do like a thing. So like someone was running around with like a bag of Skittles and whenever they use their power, they had to consume a certain number of yellow Skittles to like offset their magic use. And like somebody else had like, they drank dairy because their character was lactose intolerant. So therefore it was inconvenient. But like, it was a cool way where like they were superheroes and they were celebrated, but it still had some like funky something about it that made it different than other systems. Other other folks thoughts on kind of the the vibes. I mean, of, oh, go for it, Ray. I I I really like it. Um, and I know, like, oftentimes, like. I don't know. As, as a game creator myself, I don't often think of it as a form of art. I just think of it as a fun little thing that I do. But you're you're revealing parts of your soul with your game design. And it's getting out there and people are connecting through it and learning new things about themselves. And if that isn't like like art in its most purest form, I'm I'm not sure I I know what is. And I'm I'm really loving that that's just a thing that's coming out of you know, this, this little hobby that, that we all enjoy. Yeah. About Starshine or Ryamasa. I think for me, like you brought up something sort of on the, the tangent of, you know, like being able to celebrate like joy and stuff. And like, there's that. And I really do appreciate that. Like that we're adding more stuff, but also like, there's also, you know, being able to be joyfully reveling in mess you know, mm -hmm. um, like, again, I'm thinking like the one of the first, you know, one of the first PBTA games really to sort of hit like Monster Hearts, right, to really hit that like exact thing is just you going to high school and being messy idiots like that's the whole game. <laughs> um, but it's but it's it's fun, I think, to really kind of to go back and be able to not only explore a game where like you can be messy and high school still sucks, but like um going through that with a group of people who are all like, yeah, we're messy and high school sucked, you know, is always a lot of yep. fun. And there's yeah. a lot of joy in sort of doing that together with people who you trust and who are, who have, you know, are more uh, like more likely to understand kind of that experience, which has always been, you know, a lot of fun to do. And so I think there's a little bit of both, right? There's a little bit of that. I love that we are not only, like I love that we have things that allow us to revel in messy drama, but I also mm -hmm. love, you know, ones where it's like, you know, just, and everything is fine and nothing <laughs> bad happens. This is, you know, <laughs> animal crossing, but gay go. Yeah. Like it's fine. Yeah. yeah and I love that. And um, I, that's one of the nice things about how accessible <laughs> the medium is. And it's one of the, you're seeing, if you follow the main art scene a lot is that artists complaining that, you know, to get in a lot of shows, you kind of, I heard it lovely referred to as trauma fronting the other week. Oh, like, what? You've, you've got to like have the saddest story to get into the exhibition because they want this. You could do whatever you want, but as long as you have that really good sad story, but I think the nice thing about TTRPGs right now is you can do those serious topics, but if you want to make a game where you go, no, this has got nothing to do with my life, 
this is two hedgehogs launching themselves from a catapult with no real world <laughs> connections. You can do that and have just as much success. Mm-hmm. And if you ever want to, you can pivot between those without there being that main worry of like, oh, I've done something silly. So now I can never be the serious creator. You can do both. I would like and to so- rem- I'd like to remind everyone, Wander Home, the wholesome animal game, was also written by the same person who wrote Sleep Away, which is about a cannibalistic, shape-shifting <laughs> folklore monster trying to kill you and your campers over what was supposed to be an idyllic queer coming-of-age summer. Well, and I've also found that, like, sometimes... That game like, is terrifying, by the way. It, I mean, it sounds it. It it's sounds so it. scary. It's so scary. But what I've also loved is, like, sometimes, like, the stupid, silly, like, most, like, this game feels like it's going to be a nothing game. It's just going to be dumb and fun. And you start playing it, you're like, oh, shit, why am I feeling things? This is a game about <laughs> hamsters. Why do I have feelings? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, like, I love that you can... and um. I was talking with uh, we had a in someone on for an interview, um, Claire Mulcairn, who did a couple different games, which I know Ray is mm-hmm. very excited about the Digimon I, game. That I'm that... such a fan of Claire like Mulcairn. But, After that interview, like I just like, but like, yeah, they were. She was talking about the the difference between like what happens when like straight people engage with some of her content and like when queer people do, and how it's such a different experience to watch. Um, she has a couple of video games out as well, and to watch mm-hmm. people play some of her games that she's like aggressively queer coded and people not noticing that it's it's so queer and like same thing about playing some of her games she's one called uh transatlantis which there's a new iteration of it coming out and i'm so pumped we'll we'll talk about uh cool cool systems we've discovered in a minute but like yeah the the buildup of it is when you start playing that game it's basically a, a pt a pbta like here's your playbook but you kind of just get handed a character that you may not like and then over the game, you get to change your stats, you get to change your skills, you get to hone your your identity. So she's like, I created a trans experience that you're starting uh, off with this character that is not you. And over the course of the game, you get to build out the character that will become you. Um, that's in like the newer iteration of it. She made the first iteration of it where it was, uh, you're trans, you're fucking awesome, you're a superhero and nothing can fucking touch you. And then she's like, nobody came back because one episode you relate like one one playthrough and like i'm untouchable and that's cool but like i want a story i want more um mm. and like that to me was such a cool way to ex- like show that experience to people um but let's 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 go there because i, I want to talk about some of this stuff what are so everyone sounds like we've all played a ton a fucking ton of games yeah what are some games with systems that have like really stuck out to you like or mechanics in a game that were just so unique and interesting that you like have gone back to it or you've thought about it since playing. Go Let me it. tell you about the epistolary phase. Um, the epistolary so, phase. Yeah. Uh, so I volunteer to go after John. <laughs> uh, so this is an interesting thing that and I think touches on a really interesting piece about TTRPG design that I really love, which is if you've watched Dimension 20's A Court of Fae and Flowers, you probably know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah. Um, so 
that was a game that used a, a lot of the D&D structure, but used the social elements and the like reputation tracking from a game called Good Society, which is a game about like Jane Austen esque society, like relationship role playing. Um, and it's got a couple of really cool things in it, but I think one of my favorite things is uh, the epistolary phase, where after you play all of this stuff, the game is like, all right, now everyone go away. Like, take, go to a different part of the room, sit down with a piece of paper, write a letter to your friend that you're going to send them, and that you're going to read before you do the next scene, before whatever your next sort of scene is. Um, and you sit there and you write this, like, absolutely pretentious, like, best Victorian English letter you can do. Um, and then you have to read it to them. Uh, before you continue on, everyone's got to sort of like tell their letters to everybody out loud in mm -hmm. front of everyone else. Um, and it's one of those things where it's very, very funny because speaking of you know like queer experience, you know a lot. <laughs> there is so much subtext you can pack into every single word of those letters if you're really yeah. trying. Like if you really want to do it, it's entirely up to you. Um, but like I've played that game several times and every letter has definitely been we're super not gay promise just just normal people definitely not gay don't worry about it very platonic super platonic do not want a romance at all whatsoever um, but it, and and you know and clearly <laughs> not right so that's one of, and that's really a fun thing because it adds an extra piece of relationship dynamics built into your sort of talking where not only are you playing out the things that people will say to each other to their face in front of society in front of their family in front of their friends but you also have to sit down and also in some ways through this through this and also um the monologue token which is a token every player has where they can just be like i pay this to you tell us what you're actually thinking um in the middle of a scene uh... um where <laughs> you have to not you have to also as that character confront the things that you want to say and can't which is great for like several reasons um and so like that's one of the things i really enjoy is a lot of it for me is i i get weird with dice mechanics i love anything involving dice like no matter what they are so i'm always looking for a bit more of that meta layer stuff of what comes on top mm -hmm. of the storytelling how can we scaffold that better for other people um and that's one of my favorite things just in any game ever just like i get and as like someone who was into the whole like you know early 2000s envision boards envision free pro boards role-playing scene <laughs> that just <laughs> that harkens back to me in like a really personally attacking way <laughs> All right, Hector, you had something. Uh, so, like, I really like the uh, belonging outside belonging slash no mm -hmm. guys, no masters. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Pioneered by Avery Adler and Dream Askew, Dream Apart, um, which has spun off into, like, many, many, many permutations. Uh, one, both, uh, my one most popular best-selling published work on Itch. Uh, fair season was uses that system that is how fascinated i became and it took me a couple of years because like i wasn't a mechanics guy i was not a mechanics guy but i was stuck in one place for two years and i just started was like how do people design games like how do they do this i don't get it like i've been a teenager since the 90s and i have put game designers on a pedestal for 20 years i just couldn't figure it out I was one of those people that didn't really embrace homebrew outside of lore because I was afraid I would break something in the system and ruin my tables experience. 
mm. with ineffective homebrew, which made me one of the least popular people in my homebrewer like group. Uh, because I was just like, oh, I just I don't know about this third party content, guys. Like, uh, and I'm not that person anymore. You know, I've I and that system was the one that kind of clicked in my head that really made me realize, oh, when you strip it down bare, you give motivations to players for what you want to happen narratively. Mm hmm. And you give consequences uh, based on, like, moments of weakness, you know? And so, like, I started to realize that you spend tokens for hits. You don't spend tokens for mixed successes. And you gain tokens for, like, failures. Yeah. Essentially. Like... If you, if you, it's like, it's the hit, make success, failure, PVTA model, but like stripped down to its bare bones. And you just, AI found out that you can just kind of let people make their own narrative choices. As long as you give them some kind of mechanic to latch on those narrative choices to, and that the only, like, it's not always dice. Dice are great. Dice yeah. are versatile. And this revelation made me realize how versatile dice actually are. Um, but that's my big wow system that really yeah. kind of blew me away in indie games. There was, we did one called um, Crisis, which I think Ray played with us for that yeah. one. And it's it's belonging outside belonging. So it's that whole setup. And for me, the one when I played um, Dream Apart is the queer enclave one the one thing I was missing was just like a little, I, I needed like a small piece to like propel the story forward. If like the players weren't somehow doing it themselves. Cause I'm, because I'm a forever GM, I just need like a little GM nudge somewhere. And crisis has a card element where you like can trigger the crisis and mm. draw a card that makes story progress in ways that are, you know, if, if someone at the table is not feeling creative at a moment, you can use the card to kind of nudge it. And it was the Lindworm and um, sleep away works that way. There's a nice. ritual where you can summon the Lindworm, a move everyone can do. And then you can draw a card. And then there's a chart in the book that yep. gives you various different terrible, scary things and themes that give you a guide. It's almost like an automated GM for you. Yep. You still all like make up together, like what it means. But for the most part, like, it's there if you, Eric, if you need like a little extra. And it sounds yeah. like Crisis has a similar mechanic. Yeah. I just, and it, yeah, I, I definitely echo that though. Like the belonging outside belonging system is just like a, it's a beautiful system, like the way that it, and I've got a couple of games on the, on my horizon of stuff I want to do. There's one called uh, Molotov College, which is like X Men, mm. but, but with belonging outside belonging mechanics. You're going to, um, you're going to, you're going to love that game. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I'm so excited. Like, um, but yeah, uh, Starshine Array, what are any, any games that have like really been interesting mechanically for I, you? I can go, yes. Yeah. As people talk, I'm just crossing things off my list here. Like, uh, beat me to oh. it, beat me to it. <laughs> the two that spring to mind, um, Locus is a horror game, which I adore. I did write for it, full disclosure. But I was, what is I, the story I, with Locus? What is it? It is basically Silent Hill 2, but in a game. 
Uh, what I really like is it has this neat layer thing called layers in that the world will change as you move around, which works so well for horror. So rather than going all these places, you have one place, but it changes as you move. So for instance, oh. the bit I wrote for it was a theme park. So on the first layer is reality, where it's like, oh, here's this ruined theme park. Second layer, oh, you're back in time. You're seeing how it used to be, the flashbacks. Then third, now there's a lot of monsters and they all want you dead for various reasons. But how it ties those layers into character motivations is really good. So you can have these moments, like same as if you've played Silent Hill 2, James and his fucking dead wife. Uh, Mm. You can have those kind of moments like, oh, why are all these monsters all you know blindfolded nurses with big chests well this is because it links to my motivation which is you know i push my wife off a cliff spoilers mm. for silent hill too if you haven't played it yet <laughs> tell you. Um, how dare you how warning. dare you stop this now and immediately play silent hill too um <laughs> don't play the new one it's awful the other one is a game called uh shutter speed uh which is uh, by oh mm. god i wish i could remember the name but it is Fatal Frame of the game, but it uses what? you actually taking photographs in the game. Now, when you encounter Richard Kelly, that's the guy's name, right? He makes amazing games that use props. In... Oh. I'm, I'm a sucker for props, and this Shutter mm-hmm. Speed is such a great use of them because when a ghost encounter happens, the GM pulls up a sign and starts waving it. You've got to grab your phone and take a picture. If you fail to get the picture in time or you don't get the ghost in shot, well... You're taking damage, but if you do, it works. And it's so good because it leaves this really fun moment of tension and utter chaos as everyone's like, oh, crap, crap. Gotta... And it's I think it's it's a really nice bit of adversarial DMing, which is often awful, but here it works really well because as a DM, you're encouraged to be like, oh, there's a noise coming down that corridor. Oh, what's this? Is that something moving? Oh, no, it's just a cat. Oh, no, it wasn't a ghost. And it's just... <laughs> It's one of the most, like, if I have to bring people into TTRPGs, that's the game we play because it's so intuitive. And just, I think sometimes you can role play can be difficult for new people because it's such a impossible to explain concept. It's inherently human to the point of making zero sense. So Shutterspeed gives you this really good model of like, don't have to worry about dice or stats. You see ghost, you take photo, just like you would with anything else. And it's so much fun. It, and over time, players so naturally get into character and start acting along with you without you having to sort of sit them down and go, this is what role-playing is. You're just going to do it naturally, and it's beautiful. Um, all right, Ray, what do you got for us? Uh, wow, I I kind of feel like, you know, I have have like the, the least answer on the test. But um, I'm found myself really drawn to games that completely throw health out as a mechanic. Oh yeah. HP. Like one thing I really love about mask in, in particular is yeah. Is mask. Like it's, if you, you take a hit or something, if you roll bad, you're not like bleeding out or dying. You just gain these conditions that are just Mm -hmm. sort of projected onto you, which is, you know, the main idea of it is you're playing a young hero and you're subject to, you know, your own hormonal teen mage brain. And then you're also, you know, prone to adult expectations. And I love that as a mechanic. Like anytime, like I see a game that just takes health out, I want to know how they play with it and how they mess with it. Yeah. Mass is so, 
It's so good. This is the, like, I have issues with their combat system, but uh, mm -hmm. the issues I have with their combat system were fixed in Avatar Legends, so... We have all. wildly differing opinions on that particular you subject, will. so I agree with you. We will, we will have some, we're we're going to have we're, to meet at a con. Let's, let's not have, have a fight tea. here, let's but like, fight, parking yeah. lot at Packs Unplugged, let's go. Like, <laughs> like, all right, everyone get your dice out, let's do <laughs> this. Dice out, let's do this. Um, uh, I love masks, though, for that, yeah. removing that yeah. element. Swissy uh, Sword Lesbians also does that. Um, yeah. This sort of idea of it doesn't matter... Somebody, I read an article once that said Mass is excellent for doing uh, comic book stories uh, with young people of a differing levels of superpower. So mm -hmm. if you wanted to do a story about Teenage Legion mm -hmm. and a story about Teenage Rogue with mm -hmm. Jubilee, you know, Teenage Jubilee, you know, I'm just grabbing them because time travel, whatever, you know. All of these characters, like, you know, I'm gonna get real nerdy here, like, Omega-level power mutants are really hard to kind of weave into the story because their powers, if you take them into mutants and masterminds, it doesn't work. It's totally mm -hmm. imbalanced. If you yep, take yep. them into, I think, um, How to Wear a Mask kind of addresses this very well. Mm -hmm. But the more, but like, it doesn't work in Champions. It doesn't work in Heroes Unlimited. It doesn't work in, and these games have been doing the superhero genre for decades. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they're, you're, you got one job, like, you know, Champions, and it does not do big superheroes, lower superheroes, and like, it doesn't replicate those kind of comics well. Those amazing, fun, you know, cross like team you know intergenerational when all the teenage superheroes get together they're all like it doesn't like mesh right because like right. it's a role-playing game and games are about mechanics right. and you want all things being even you want everyone at the very least having equal narrative impact and that's what masks does it yeah. gives everyone's feelings more impact than their actual strength of their powers like yeah. their powers are still relevant, but the conditions make it so that you can have, you know, psychic dimension hoppers like Legion in like the same party as, say, Chameleon, you know, mm -hmm. or yeah. Peter Parker, Brock um, the Leaper. Yeah, yeah, and and I I know like because I've seen other games trying to do the same thing. And I know I talked before we hit the button of recording whether or not I was, was or wasn't going to talk about a certain Marvel game that's been released. Oh, no. But, but I, I wasn't uh. like, so I won't, I'm like, I'm not like, I think there are games that work for different people. And I think that game, the new Marvel game that's coming out is a level of crunch that does not work for me. Mm. And I think that's, which, and it works for some people. I know some people love a chart. They love, they love all these things. For me, the one challenge in that was the scaling in how different character builds and levels could or could not hit each other. Like if you mm -hmm. were playing Peter Parker, you could physically not hit Magneto. Like if someone was playing a Magneto level character, Peter Parker is not at a level that he can actually do anything to a Magneto level character. Ooh, and like it's some late nineties, Kevin Sambia flashbacks. But like, like and I think, Mega and I think while that versus I, structural damage, and I and for me, I think while that I'm makes sorry, sense, in it, <laughs> and while like while it makes sense in like a narrative setting of like, you know, Storm would never be 
hit by a Jubilee. Like, you know, well, or a da- like, Dazzler is never going to do damage to Storm. Well, like, she's well, that, but Squirrel like, Girl exists, right? Like, well, that's like, but, Right, so, like, but, masks, masks does that with the influence mechanic, right? Mm-hmm. Right. All it, adults have influence over you. And you as the player, yes, you have your agency not to listen, but there are consequences in the game for not right. listening to adults, particularly adult yep. superheroes. The only adults you want to not listen to in masks are the villains. But even right. that is its own struggle. And there's like know? one playbook specifically about that is like, oh, well, my parent is a villain. And now this is very awkward, actually. <laughs> like, yeah, this is like really weird. Um, but I, and I'll, I'll, I'll pivot this a little bit. So the one, the one that I was going to talk about that was, I just thought super fun and very quirky in terms of uh, game mechanics that like has stuck with me is a weird little game called Camp Kingdom Come, which is about being a camp counselor at a summer Bible camp during a cthulhu level apocalypse yeah and so your and so your role is that you are the camp counselor and you have a cabin of campers and your job is to keep them alive over the course of five days and every day has different activities you can do and the different activities like one is like a rock paper scissors tournament you do with people around the table Another is like someone rolling dice and like if you match the dice, then you have to grab something. And like it's more interactive. We did it on a recording and God bless the 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 guys who wrote it because they were working with me in the DMs to figure out how to adapt things virtually to make it work. And some of it we just had to like change. Like I was like, we can't do this. I'm just gonna do Bible trivia because that feels right. <laughs> um yeah. but like it was such a cool thing. So everyone had their cabins, they all drew cards, and based on the the number and the suit they would take different campers out on event, like on trips. And sometimes you'd have to roll over certain things or under certain things. And it was, I mean, it was brutal. We had somebody almost lost their entire cabin in day one. Like you have like six campers and like these children all nearly died in day one. Like it's, but it was, it was just that fun level of like, we're not worried about big stats. We're not worried about, it wasn't even health. Like they either lived or died. Like that was it. (laughs) Like, yes or no um but i love i love the idea of like weaving in like these mini games or these other things that make it more exciting because then you're not stuck in the like all right well i'm uh i'm playing masks all right so i've got my i'm gonna roll my power i'm gonna do my like and i love i say this is like i love masks, but like it gives you a different experience going into a into something i will say this conditions versus harm is a genre game changer oh yeah mm-hmm. i decided that i was gonna be like and just be like, oh, I'm going to do a multiverse crossover. I'm going to cross over my Monster Hearts campaign characters with my Mass campaign characters. Yeah. We're going to do Earth 66 and Earth Prime. And <laughs> Earth 66 is where it's dark and there's monsters and vampires. And I had like time traveling vampires and, you know, it was all great. I, I had these vampires that could literally like go into their own memories and literally travel to any time that they had existed and lived within. It was like a specialized form of chrono blood magic. And it made them the perfect crossover villains for both my Monster Hearts campaign and my uh, superhero campaign. And let me tell you, I had to sit down and make a whole like three or four pages of house rules because I thought, oh, it's the same. It's PPTA. Oh, no. <laughs> No, yeah, it's no. not. I had to go under the hood and uh, 
at the end of the day, the superheroes and masks learned really, really quick what bullets do and what happens when police don't trust you. And mm -hmm. like it got very ugly and very scary. And then when the teenagers from Monster Hearts went to the superhero world, which was kind of like my, I essentially created Presidio City, which is like what San Diego is like in uh, uh, Hylon City. So it's like the same universe as the books, but I wanted to do mm -hmm. my own city. And they were shocked. They were like, wait, you have a mass transit system that works? Like, they were just, like, <laughs> all this, like, sort of, like, utopian, kind of high-minded world with superheroes. And then uh, I just took everything bad about San Diego, and I was like, oh, yeah, like, all of the, the, the racism and all of the, like, you know, homophobia, scary white supremacist stuff in East County all got shoved into East County. And it's... They have gangs with superpowers and because I, I needed to do them villains to fight, you know, and right. Uh, you made Demolition travel. Man is what you're telling me. <laughs> I essentially made Demolition Man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, yeah. yeah. Well, it was really interesting because like I made their I could talk about this setting, but I just made like <laughs> a really cool setting in San Diego and it really shocked the Monster Hearts characters because they're used to being in constant peril, high drama horror like because i run monster hearts oh a little less cw a little more hbo like a little more netflix if i'm being honest like more yeah. like chilling adventures of sabrina than you know um with safety tools uh right. so it's and then i run masks like x-men like i run awesome. it like a 2021 update of generation x like if young queer writer but let BIPOC writers were writing the Gen X storyline that I grew up with in the early 90s, the Flannix Covenant, the Finding a Generation X, Banshee, White Queen. What would that look like? What are those stories like? What is X-Men Revolution, the animated, the new animated series when they were all teenagers? What does that look like in a 2023 context and a world where we understand more about gender and more about who we are and it doesn't have to be subtext? And that's you know, one of the great yeah. things about masks, I get to kind of bounce between, I got a queer horror and queer uh, superhero, uh, aspirational superheroes. I love yeah. all of that. <laughs> um, and that, but that was a good, that's a good segue because I was going to ask other folks and I'll, uh, I'll turn to the other three of you. Are there games that have had settings that really like caught your attention or you really dove into a bit um in terms of like indie tabletop games I, i'm already gonna say jump in here and say this i'm already out on this one because <laughs> nine times out of ten like i appreciate all the work people put into settings and lore mm -hmm. i take one look at it and throw it out because i want to do my own stuff that's fair i hear you right <laughs> <laughs> um it's like starshiner uh, ramasa yeah, for me it'd be out by a solo game Okay. Outlaws is very, very hard to explain now. I'm knowing a sentence. Because basically, if you've ever played Control, sort of like mm -hmm. if you're working for a corporation who deals with weird stuff and tries to make it less weird or put it somewhere else, but how it really captures that just through how it's laid out, through how everything's designed, that kind of government bureaucracy of 
we made our yeah you know, we made our plans for dealing with these things in the 1970s and god damn it we're not changing them now kind of vibe the entire thing gives off of mm. this weird stuff is genuinely really weird and terrifying because who knows what it is or what it can do but you're also bound by this very grey government bureaucracy and how it nails that and makes this kind of you can really buy into there being a whole world outside this game and a whole load of other government agents all doing their thing like you it's a solo game so you do sort of build part of that as you play but mm-hmm. you can totally see like oh you know the you you read it and you can totally imagine the office building and the receptionists and all that other stuff it's so good it's one of the things that i think once you play it you kind of always keep thinking back to it mm. um Ramasa? Yeah, I think there's so there's like three, and one of them's kind of cheating. So I'm going to touch on it very briefly, because <laughs> um, it's not really an indie game anymore. Um, so first off, uh, the first one that I'm going to sort of cheat on and touch real quickly is uh, the recent Monty Cook uh, adaptation of Old Gods of Appalachia. Mm. Um, is what I'm like. I, I I've loved the podcast setting since I listened to it, and I love all of that shit. Um, so there's that, that one, it's great. It's not really an indie game as it broke every, I think every TTRPG Kickstarter record to date. Um, uh, and that, so that's already cheating because that one's just great. Um, (laughs) so I'm not going to touch on that for very long. Um, the only, the the other two that have really stuck with me, um, have sort sort of stuck with me for two reasons. One is the base default setting of Blades in the Dark. Mm. Um, because mm. oh boy, do I love me some dishonored shit, and that's just dishonored dialed up to eleven. Um, yep. which I which I super love. D- Demon whales powering cities with ghost fields. Yeah, done, sold. I'm in. I'm in now. Um, there's that, uh, and that one I really love for also because the game itself is so much about how you and your friends and your gang relate to every other faction in the city that they mm-hmm. have like just a whole ass list of people that could be fucking with you at any given moment. And that's one of my favorite things is like, now I don't have to invent 17 gangs. And like, you can see there's still the space to do that. If you want to sort of narrow down a little bit, and have a little bit of focus as they sort of move from threat range to threat range, because there are some gangs that are like, the dudes around the block who own that corner. And then there's some gangs that are like the military, which, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which tells you a whole lot about the sort of the scale you can get up to. But if you're, <laughs> if you start messing with, you know, people in the game doing your crime. Um, but that is something I really appreciate in a game that gives me all of these sort of things. Like for me, um, the gold standard of a lore drop that is useful to me as a GM is Dunkelzon's Will from Shadowrun. Is... <laughs> there we go. Um, oh. For those of you who don't know what that is, Dunkelzon's Will was a document <laughs> dropped by the first dragon president of America um, that dealt with a lot oh, of like, community stuff. 2024. Yeah. <laughs> Next year, technically. Oh, God, we came oh. so far. Uh, <laughs> turned into dust instantly. But uh, the idea Ooh. was, is that he was assassinated and then left behind a treasure trove of random bullshit um, that you could use as, like, prompts for stuff. And it was things like, to this other dragon, we both have, ex- I leave you a fruitcake that we've exchanged for years Unlike you, this time I'm dead. And so one of the things I fully used 
uh, was actually just the shadow, like the 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 the, the, the run for them was they were hired by like several corporate intermediaries to deliver a package. You couldn't look into it. You like don't open it, don't touch it, don't even breathe in its general direction. Pick it up, put it over there, and leave. Uh, and they were, and unbeknownst to them, they were delivering the fruitcake. Um, like during one of those years to the very heavily guarded office of a dragon. Um, mm. That to me is one of my favorite things. When, when games give me those like, not grand arcing lore, which is helpful, but little tiny specific nonsense. I love that because then that can means I can take it and then I can put it somewhere and then it can be something that my player is using. Um, and then the second uh, setting is, uh, I think, oh my God, is it? It's not hard. It's a uh, haunted West. Um, by darker by darker hue studios because i don't know the last time i picked up a ttrpg and got a 700 page history textbook like that's what i actually (laughs) got um and that and that is so fun for a number of reasons also but because it was like the the amount of research and care put into the setting was even if i never get to use more than like a third of it it's there and i can just read it like a book sometimes which is always great Haunted West is the promise of Deadlands. Because when when Deadlands came out, it was like, oh, it's the Wild West with gender equality and free people of color written by white dudes that worked at White Wolf. I love Deadlands. It's really good. Like Deadlands is one of those things that I really enjoy that I every now and then I flip a page and go, and then like (laughs) gotta keep going. All right, cool. Well, ignoring that. Moving on. Yeah, like, you know what? Why don't we just get, like, uh, the team that put together Haunted West and the team that put together Coyote and Crow and let them write Deadlands 3rd Edition? Ooh, How truly. about we do that? Yeah. How about you hire those two people I would, to put I would together their teams and yeah. give us a 3rd Edition Deadlands? I think yeah, that would be but... incredible. Like, I'm challenging you, like, whoever <laughs> has it right now takes that. They would do so well with Savage Worlds. They could take that Savage World system and really do something great with it. Like, give it to the people. Yeah, I've I've got Coyote and Crow sitting in my long list of, but every time I look at it, I'm like, I am overwhelmed. This is a lot of, and like for me doing like indie one shots on the pod, there's certain games I look at and like, I, a one shot would not do this game the justice that it deserves. Yep. And I've got a couple that I like, I keep looking at and like, oh, I want to run this. I'm like, I need like, Right now, our, our pod is doing a mini campaign of Legacy Life Among the Ruins, mm-hmm. um, which is powered by the apocalypse. But like everyone runs a family and then also is playing a character from that family. Oh. And so the idea is over the arc of generations, like we'll play out a storyline and then we'll skip a generation. And everyone still plays that family, but now they get a different character and they get to deal with the repercussions of what they've done. Um, and it's that kind of world building stuff is is so cool to me. Um, uh, but the ones the most the, the most fun way to play the the uh, Game of Thrones Telltale game where you pass the controller between everybody. Oh my gosh, that's the best. Like that, that's my favorite way. That's that's, that, that game is that game. I think but, I think setting wise, probably Hythe and Wanderhome would probably be mm. the most compelling one. It, it's a tie between that and the alternate you know, um, Empire of the Turtle from uh, Coyote and Crow. Like okay. the uh, especially with the map flipped upside down, so that the priority is not that's a, it's an old trick. It's to 
it's like a visual trick to trick your mind into absorbing it, not as the United States and Canada as we know it, but like as its own thing. Mm, okay. That's why they flip the map over. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm really interested in that setting. The, the system I hear is like D12 and breaks your brain uh in a good way in a good way uh and then the other setting and then heist and wonder home was incredibly compelling and it was a lot like john like you were dom was talking about earlier uh this idea of pieces of the setting and one of the things i really like about uh certain games uh, that have pick lists in particular is that you can sneak narratives into pick lists if you're really clever uh and you can create and you can create characters with entire narratives or um storylines depending because not all pick lists are for playbooks sometimes play pick lists are for places and things and you can kind of string together all of these different ideas without giving you a block text of a right. lore um right now like wanderhome has like a whole bunch of little tiny little mythological setting nuggets that are just sort of sprinkled throughout the entire book and all of the natures all of the kiss all of the traits they're all just these different like uh like the the small god that dances in the flower field and then in another part of the book it will mention like the festival of the flower goddess you know and then like in another part of the book it'll talk about and it'll all just sort of bounce around in all these different places. And you'll be like, oh, so Hythe has like a pantheon of flower gods that have a series of festivals. But there's all these blanks that you, as the player, can fill in the details with. So there's like yeah. a hook there, but it's almost like a, it's like making candy in the rave scene. You get, uh, pick lists are just beads. And there are different colored beads that you can string together into a unique story. Yeah, I, yeah, I think for me the, the there's two I think that I'll I'll at least mention. So one is um, it's a game called High Magic Low Lives, which is oh. a like steampunk, fuck capitalism, like social media influencer world. Like, and these, like, the, the characters you're playing, they actually had, like, depending on, the character creation process for that was super fucking cool. I went through it with the people I was playing with just to do it, and, like, mm -hmm. you could pull, like, tarot cards to determine, like, certain elements about your character. You could pull other things to, like, determine, like, what some of your skill sets were. And, like, there were built-in mechanics where it's, like, you can live stream a thing that you're doing to get bonuses to your roles, because you're like highlighting how awful the aristocrat, the aristocracy is by like broadcasting it to the world. So like the, the module we, we ran, they, it was like the intro module that they had. And like, we ended up this, like someone was doing Coke off of somebody else's dick oh, and what? we live and we live streamed it. So we could show <laughs> the world that this person was imperfect and like, but all those things, like they have impacts. And so now like now the aristocracy is on your case or things are happening down the line and just like this very big world. And it's like the, the idea of it built around, like you're gonna fucking fail because you're a fuck up and that's okay. Like the module you play, the, their intro module is called 
the ship is on. It's like the sky ship is burning. And it starts off with your group figuring out that you're in this giant star like uh, ship and it's on fire. And oh. when you run it, spoilers, I guess, there is no way for the players to stop it. The ship will crash. <laughs> like it's it's designed in a way to like and it does all this and it's building out this like really cool like they have to be creative. They have to do weird shit. They have to get bonuses by live streaming things from people who are going to like basically like twitching like twitch streaming like people throw money at you for how well you're doing things so wild so much fun it sounds like uh, the one i heard about was it last night in vegas where you start the game with a blank character sheet waking oh. up in vegas with no memory of what happened and then over the course of the game as as you go from encounter to encounter, your character sheet is filled out based on what you can remember. Yep. Yeah, that's I've I've when you talked about like the theoretical campaign thing you were gonna do, the theoretical play. I a friend of uh Ray and I's that, that hosts another podcast, we has talked about doing like a like what if you just didn't have any you didn't have your character sheet, you walk into a bar and someone goes, Oh man. We don't have elves here very often. You're like, shit, I'm an elf. Okay. Oh, um, yeah. That's like, an old meme. That one's been going around for a while. Yeah. And like, you know, it's funny because like every time somebody like takes that urban legend up and actually tries it, they have a pretty good time. But I like to chalk it up it to being like only groups that know each other really well, like try yeah. it. Like they never want to try that with strangers. They don't trust people. And I, if I ever did it, I would do it with something a lot simpler than it, than the big game we're not talking about. Because um, right. I think like there's there's some ways, but I think like the one you're talking about, like that could be a lot of fun where it's like slowly building out a person. Um, all right, I'm like looking over my list of list of games and like trying to. I this will be this is a fun one, and I know some of you are probably going to jump straight to Avatar: The Last Airbender, and that's going to be fine. But yeah. are there any games that you all have played focused around an IP of some sort or? A, a like property that you've enjoyed that has been turned into game that allowed you to like actually jump in again. I know at least one person's going to say avatar Ray, Ray's already laughing. No, I'm laughing. Cause this is something I was thinking about earlier today. It's something that is like, so TTRPG is that this is what games are for us. Like, especially in the indie scene, it's like we catch a scene from a movie or we catch, like you know just like a specific thing that we like fine and there's a yeah vibe. there's like no but way in hell that we would ever get the ip for it so we just sort of change it up a little bit myself uh, especially because i a little self promo um i love american gods that's the ip i would love to see a system of um there isn't one that i know of as of now so i made one and that's what dethrone the divine is all about um but Ray, is there is there other is there a property of some sort that you would? I mean, like, okay, so I'm I'm a '90s kid. Um, I love TMNT to death. <gasps> mm -hmm. Um, and I know Palladium is is doing a reprint or something where they swear they've totally changed things up and fixed it, but all I've seen are scans from the old. So I don't I I'm not in on those conversations. I don't know what's going on. But like I, I haven't been persuaded enough to 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 pony up money for their Kickstarter. So if somebody knows something I don't, please let me know. Like justify this to me. Uh, <laughs> I, 
Uh, all I can tell you that I know, because I like looked at the Kickstarter, is that they brought Kevin Sambia back, a whole bunch of other writers. They're uh, taking a look at the manuscript for second edition, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and other strangeness that they had to toss out when they lost the licensing back in the 80s due to the success of the cartoon, because the vibe of the TTRPG did not match the yeah. vibe of the cartoon at the time, mm. even though the TTRPG was directly based off of the comic book uh, yeah, and had the same gritty vibes. So a lot of that content was reprinted in uh, After the Bomb, which was mm -hmm. their post-apocalyptic TTRPG setting that they had back in the day. I know way too much about this. Yeah, uh, yeah, so that, that, they're yes. taking all that content, adding it back in, cleaning it back up, editing it. It, it is a reprint of the original. It is not a fresh 100% edition, but they're adding everything that was cut. They're going back through it to work out the kinks and then they're republishing it. So it's not like, it's 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 more in line with like, uh, do you remember the when White Wolf was doing 20th anniversary? When they yes. were compiling all of the things and they were sort of staying within the boundaries of like what was written, but just sort of cleaning it up and editing it. That is what they're doing. They're doing kind of like a everything okay. that they can do. So if that is because I don't want you to spend the money on it for right. just for a book that you probably mostly already own if you have that old. I, I do have all of yeah. all of the old books because exactly. I was trying to run. Yeah. 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 So I'm just saying, like, do it for like the TM TM Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fam. Uh, but it's not gonna be like a full clean, like new edition i don't know they might change their minds you know how these projects go they might That's start true, yeah. editing it and right. in the middle be like oh we need more time we're gonna do a full new thing but as far as i know and i have been keeping up with that because i remember those early games right right yeah uh, yep. yeah, 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 yeah so yeah and, and one thing i really loved about that system not not to get too far off topic is you know alignment has always been kind of the bane of rpgs in my opinion and that one does it in a very interesting way because it's like how how animalistic you are and how much you blame humanity for turning you into this mutant beast. So that's something yeah. I really liked. And they and didn't we really have got neutral. They didn't have neutral. Yeah. They had selfish. Exactly. They had yeah. yeah they had like yeah. good, selfish, and evil. Mm -hmm. Really weird. Yeah. No, uh, I loved it though. Other other folks that an IP tabletop game that you've you've enjoyed if there if there is one yeah oh sorry I'll, I'll your hand. sailor moon uh the sailor moon mm. rpg from the 90s is a game i have a, a massive oh. soft spot for because it has i'm not gonna lie it has many flaws <laughs> but i think what it did was something you didn't see at the time was it knew it was appealing to middle-aged girls and people like me who are sad lonely individuals and pitched it perfectly to them in a way that made sense for the era um i could I still can sort of talk about the intro for ages because it does so many clever little things to meet players, meet the people who were watching yeah, Sailor Moon at the time where they were. Like characters have character diaries. It's not a character sheet, it's your diary and you're encouraged to do diary because that's what Usagi does in the show. And how it, like, it slowly introduces the idea of like, oh, it's such, like, it's so clever. But I love how, even the intro, it's really clever because it sort of, breaks down what magical girls are and what they mean to Japanese yeah. creators and how they were yeah, a feminist it's a, movement. It's a full history of the magical girl genre. Which today is yeah. silly. But then you realize back in the day, 
if you wanted to watch all of Sailor Moon up to that point, the dub, you'd have to buy 15 VHS tapes at nearly $500. Mm-hmm. So having this mm-hmm. option to be like, hey, you like this. Here's where you are. And one of my favorite bits about that is the character sheet comes, all the characters, they come with these color, basically coloring in sheets of blank characters. Yeah. And it's so perfect. And while I, if, I, if I'm in hot take, Hot table, I'd say that game laid a foundation for a lot of indies have come on, which mm-hmm. is definitely reaching, sort of breaking away from what is the standard of how games were mm-hmm. to meet the intended audience. In this, in this case, it was middle school girls. We're going to phrase everything in a way you already know, and we're going to use all the things you already know. Who cares if this was called this in another game? You would, you would call it a diary. So it's a diary in our game, and it's brilliant. It's a lovely thematic little thing so many yeah. details on those I character know. sheets that have no impact on the game whatsoever. Your astrological sign, your hair color, your, your eye blood. color, your blood type. It was oh, so, wonderful. so deliciously detailed. And people would write fan fiction about their own characters. Like, it was... It was the, a uh, moment. The paper version of like old MySpace role playing profiles, like oh. that's that's what yes. it was. So can good. We, uh, can we play this sometime? Because like <laughs> I, I really want to. Well, play. it's hard for me because like and Star, I know Star can relate. There's a lot of, I have a lot of nostalgia for this game. I own it. I will always own it. But I, this is just my opinion. But I there the stuff Star does with their games. The stuff that Princess World, the stuff that Thirsty Sword Lesbians, the stuff that Glitter Hearts, and the stuff that Girl by Motherfucking Moonlight, it's better. As much as I love Guardians okay. of the Order it's and the Tristan in all the ways, system, don't let that dated. stop you adding astrological <laughs> signs to your character. No, right. no, right. no, that from now no, on. Yeah. no, you get I... that Sailor Moon PDF and you get those old character sheets and <laughs> you reformat it for like whatever magical girl special like notion or is that what the kids are using these days notion i used to get if i don't know what my character my character's favorite pinball table is it's not a good game i need to know that to roll you have to know all the the, in the the high magic low lives when you're building your character you actually you can draw the tarot for what is your astrological (laughs) sign (laughs) and then you like explain to the group what that means in terms of like why the tower is your sign and how does that play into well, things it's so good because like so like glitter hearts for example has like touch their heart it has like look around like it has like moves that are like very specific to the genre wild sailor moon has you know of uh, you can get the sensibility and you can like make a perception check and it's it's very it's sort of sort of still kind of grounded in that not D, but like GURPS actually, because like Tristat had more in common with like GURPS. I know. Yeah. Ooh, I saw that face. <laughs> I, I have hey, a soft spot will... for GURPS. It's Ooh. down at the bottom of my heart somewhere. Let me uh, tell you something. Um, when I was a teenager, yeah. I used to refer to GURPS as GURPS is the yeast infected scum on the bottom of my shoe. <laughs> And I would say to that voice, standing yeah. in front of the Changeling the Dreaming section and the White Wolf part of the local gaming store, like, uh, looking at I, contempt at GURP Steampunk, you know, like. And I, I will say, just because since we're t- we've we've talked about Glitter Hearts a couple of times now, I'll at least say, like, for people who are listening, if you keep listening to our podcast in January, we'll be running Glitter Hearts with the game designer, Greg Leatherman, leading the charge on it for us.
um getting us i'm sorry getting us back over on track right i'm also what are mm. what is what's an ip game you've enjoyed oh shit fuck um yeah uh <laughs> so i mean so okay again cheating old gods bleh it's done it's so good and look at check it up it's so cool um i think though there are so there are t- there are two or three that kind of come to mind for for again a couple different reasons one is the blade runner game from free league um i I'm I'm not I'm not sold on the system. It's very like stat ability blah, blah, blah. but the book is a labor of love in terms of giving you the things that you need to run a case. Like there's handouts, there's architectural layouts of the buildings and like the rooms of like the, your suspects apartments there's maps of like the alleyways and places you'll go to in terms of like this weird like uh uh, like fairground combination shopping street thing the they give you handouts that like are photos that almost look like security footage from inside a club so you can <laughs> see everything and can like pick details out of it what i used to do when we ran at conventions because we would print out all the handouts is i would say all right there are two ways we can do this you can roll your dice to try and find clues in this place or I can hand you this sheet of paper that looks like the club. You can point at stuff until we run out of stuff. And if you have anything else, then we roll. And with any, with like no, with I think with zero exception, everybody was like, give us the piece of paper. We want to look at it. And then they would be like, what's this blood stain about? And I'd be like, well, and then I would tell them. And then you like, it is, even if you like threw out the game and used it with a completely different system, everything in that book is so good. I think it's, um, uh, it's they're the first of three case files. It's uh, Electric Dreams, I think, as mm. a reference to the, mm. the, the cyberpunk book. Um, but it's so it's that that Pete, that thing is such a labor of love from a lore and like preparation perspective as a GM that I really highly recommend it. You like you pick it up if you like Blade Runner. Um, also, like one of the one of the handouts is just a newspaper article with like a reference to an old chess game that if you look at it is the actual title of the overarching series. It's like, bleh, I love it. It's great. Um, <laughs> so cool. And uh, there's that one. And then my two favorite ones in terms of legitimate, of taking the the feeling of an IP and turning it into a game are the old Cortex plus games, uh, Firefly and Leverage. Those Ooh. two games got those shows down. Like, no, it was, it was that, that's it. That's the game. They're so good. Oh, good. Um, I super recommend that. Uh, I, I love both of them, and I love I, I, honestly. Uh, Tales of Zadia is in sort of the new tradition of New Cortex Prime, a uh, very similar kind of feel. I really love those. I love those conversions from uh, from the Cortex folks. Yeah, I've got I've got one game that I'm I'm keep I'm will run at some point. The list of my games that I have that I want to play is vast, but there's one that uh, it's called Imp uh impulse drive it's a power by the apocalypse mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's like it, dra- it draws on mass effect fire firefly etc 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 yeah, et cetera, et cetera. yeah. Uh, uh, orbital one, blues is uh, i was about to i was literally just orbital about to say orbital, orbital blues, blues. yeah yep uh, uh, again, if you want a recommendation orbital blues because we all say we had it. A good one. <laughs> hey i don't know if you've heard of this but orbital blues is <laughs> such a great listen i'm adding it to the list i'm putting it on yeah Arthurian knights and doomed kingdoms and guns. Oh, we're talking about uh, Mythic Bastion. In, I'm talking about Inevitable, which is by Inevitable. the same which is oh, the same publisher from that did okay. Orbital Blues. I think it's it's but they're both Soul Muppet. They are. Um, yeah. Muppet. Oh yeah, Soul Muppet. Yeah. Is, is uh, I actually stuff. recently just cracked. Uh, I, this kind of also ties back to mechanics. So like Inevitable has very dark tower aesthetic. If that's the kind of thing you're going for, Ooh, yeah. Um, 
But my favorite thing, sort of speaking of mechanics, is that there are six apocalypses happening at the same time. Um, mm. And stopping one only increases, only reduces the threat of it and increases the threat of everyone else because you've been busy dealing with this one and trying to put out this fire and this yeah. other fire has had time to get bigger. You will lose at some point. Oh, um, anxiety uh... the mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the entire point of the of the game is like, how do you what do you choose to defend how do you choose to defend it and tell that story of like your own personal fall of camelot like go right um it's really like that one is uh it's not it's not an ip because right. that's not how it's... the mythology of king arthur works but yeah. like if you want something that is very similar to that feel cannot recommend uh recommend inevitable enough yeah. it's just britain uh. Uh, and then Hector, what about you? What's your oh us, okay? Your, I think that I have played that I have enjoyed. Uh, in terms of like independent actual IP, lots of older stuff. Actually, a lot of the stuff that was already mentioned. Like I played, uh, but I think my favorite, gosh, uh, Avatar Legends. Uh, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed mm -hmm. uh, the system, which John and I might disagree about. Uh, it's okay. I've played a lot <laughs> of PVTA, like a lot, you know, and it was just something that got me through during lockdown, just trying every other system that we could. And I will have to say, uh, and played a lot. Uh, and I would have to say, in terms of combat, at least for running it, like as a person not playing, um, I think Avatar Legends is probably the best out of what I have played so far. I liked what I saw in Masks. Uh, Monster Hearts was difficult. Masks was better, but big, huge, smelly butt. <laughs> There's no freaking initiative system. And every single time you mention the dirty word of initiative in the indie scene, everyone gives you some gibble gobbledy like the forge freaking answer or the gauntlet freaking answer where they're all like, oh, brr, 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 have a conversation with everyone at your table. And then when you're just all like, yeah, but like some people have a hard time, like who gets to go first? And they're like, well, you just work it out amongst yourselves. And I'm well, like, I don't want to spend a... 17 minutes like waiting for something like, you know, you go. No, you can no, just roll. Yeah, it, go. Yeah, Come on. Yeah, let's like, what if like we have an I... hour. Let's go. Yeah, like, just, 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 like, what That's... if you're dealing with people that have decision paralysis? What if you're dealing with people that are neurodivergent? What if you're dealing with people that are 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 introverts? Everybody should be able to enjoy a game at the table, regardless of their mental capacity. Okay, we all deserve to enjoy our games. So make an initiative system. Like, oh, so yeah, as a GM, that's just when I like I just throw something at a player, and I'm like, I had to. I take. I'm like I a table's to. flying at I you. What do you do? Where and like I mentioned earlier in the in the, oh, in I thought I meant you meant literally. No, uh, it's just, I mean sometimes. Sometimes it's <laughs> earlier in the podcast. Throw a table a, at your characters, I folks. A, like I, right characters. <laughs> and I'm sometimes very, the players. I'm very like at the. I want to follow the rules, right? Like I Fair. want the system as it is. Which people are like, "Why do you play indie games?" And I'm like, "Indie games have rules too, guys." Uh, <laughs> like I don't know what to tell you. Saying you like rules doesn't mean you like complication it doesn't mean you like density that is an entirely different conversation that's something that's being projected onto a lot of indie folks people you know in general yeah. uh i don't know how i got on that tangent but <laughs> but you said because you said avatar like the avatar in it so was, was i felt so avatar solid. is the best it's the it's the best evolution it, it we did good things and because we talked about um which call it 
we talked about uh, conditions. Yeah. And Avatar has an initiative system. Easy peasy. The players go first. That's <laughs> all they had to say. One sentence. They solved all of my problems with mass combat in one sentence. And if that is an elegant game design, I don't know what is. <laughs> um, and uh, so I would have to say Avatar Legends in terms of an established IP bringing in, me in and getting me really interested. That has been like the number one. I've had to say like five stars. Knocked it out of the park. I am curious about Altered Carbon. I've looked through the book. I really, really enjoyed the Netflix series. I have not read the books, but I they come highly recommended. Um, so I'm kind of interested in that. I've heard, oh God, what else? And then something that got vibes, that nailed vibes. Uh, Galactic 2E, first, last, forever, and always. Uh, it's a belonging outside belonging game. It's on mm -hmm. itch. Uh, it has recently, uh, expanded. There's an expansion that's up for, uh, an, any, an, uh, an award, right? It was a rogue, rogue, uh, God, it was the one that was, uh, not rogue trainer. That's games that scum, like scum and villainy. No, no, no. So what it is, is hold on. I gotcha. It's on it's a Riley Renthal game, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Galactic, Galactic 2E. And then they did like an expansion to it. Someone like Going Riley's... Rogue. Going Rogue. Like, Going Rogue. rogue. Mm. Yeah. Is that a party of one? Yeah. Yeah. And then didn't that like win a bunch of awards? Yes. I believe so. That, yeah, and, I'm and pretty sure. I, I believe awards. they also did I Have the High Ground, which also won a lot of awards. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that game. Uh that yeah, it game. won it won a it won a crit award, is what it okay. was. Yeah, y'all. Yeah, I yeah, cannot yeah. tell you if you want a game that captures the found family feel of Star Wars. <laughs> I cannot speak for Going Rogue. I've heard great things. It's award-winning. It speaks for itself. I can speak for Galactic 2E, which Going Rogue is built off of. Galactic 2E is excellent. We still want to get back to it. And we played that one shot like two years ago. And, you know, one of the great things uh, that I encourage anybody playing Galactic 2E is to have a serious above table conversation, probably around at the same time that you're talking about safety tools, because that's what we did. And see if you actually want to play Galactic 2E as it is in the book or just play it as Star Wars, because that's what we did. And we had a great time. Um, and nobody came, uh, you know, we weren't doing it for a recording. We weren't doing it for a podcast. We were just doing it. And just the themes of Star Wars that we were interested in, just, it, it just handled so well. It was so well, you know, and I, I love dice, but sometimes dice can make things really swishy. And it was really yeah. interesting getting a chance to tell a Star Wars story with intention. Yeah. Um, I will say that the rules about lateral moves are a little like out of my my head sphere but we made it work uh and if you're doing a long-term <laughs> campaign with it you'll figure it out repetition yeah. is it's not it's not hard to learn it was just we were doing a one shot and i wanted my lightsaber uh <laughs> <laughs> uh the playbooks are excellent too they really capture the feel of everyone and because it's not a crunchy mechanics based like you know, like the Fantasy Flight or like Wizards of the Coast or like, or, or even West End uh, because it's so much more focused on um, narrative beats and less on the minutia of like the 
powers essentially right. or mechanics you don't worry about the jedi being the most powerful person in the group uh everyone has equal narrative weight i have been playing star wars role-playing games since 1994 <laughs> i played the west ends d6 game and i am telling you i have played all of them all of them the fantasy flight the d20 the only one i haven't played is the one that a lot of people like which is the saga one and i've heard really good things about that like that was very like it was a clean version of the d20 system it used feet trees people really enjoyed it i cannot speak for that but i can speak for all the other star wars tabletop games and as much as i love them and as much as i appreciated the west end games when keeping star wars alive for a decade uh i gotta say galactic 2e please play this game play this game play it with your friends play it like with everybody it's so good it, it yeah. is star wars Ray, what do you got have you tried light side no light no, side i have not okay i i feel like this is like pitching something that's a dime a dozen because it's a it's a star wars powered by the apocalypse sure no i just but, like but it's it's a friend that oh, it's a friend it's a game a friend of mine made um mm -hmm. that it it really does a great job of balancing everybody out Mm -hmm. so um after after our conversation i'll i'll pitch it your way yeah um and then the i my my two that i was looking at are like they're they're ip adjacent like they don't actually have the rights to do it but they did a thing in the style of and i love them for it and the first one is from um hannah schaefer and uh who i love and i know that like she's put out a bunch of great stuff I love damn uh save the damn the man save the music, which is based off of the cult classic Empire Records, and it's built on her. It's very similar to her Questlandia, where it's like you've got the card mechanics, and you're trying to like get you know, but it's like it's so mundane and it's just fucking delightful. Like your people working in a record shop, some like I think I was running it at a I ran it at a convention and I was like. I had my players like, all right, so task number one for you, you have to go get coffee for everybody. And like, then they talked about like, where did they go to get coffee? Who do they bring with them? What kind of shenanigans did they get into? How did they fail at getting coffee when they rolled so terribly? Like, and like the, the end of the game, the store, there are mechanics where the store can actually end up closing. Like you could lose. Oh. And so it's just like, it hit all the right vibes. The, the, the character archetype were just super great. Like she understood the aesthetic of that show so well and being basically my favorite movie of all time across all things. It made me so happy to be able to like run that and play that and like have people just like dealing with this like obscure random movie because and I, I've, I've interviewed her for the pod before. And like, we mm -hmm. talked about that game in particular. I thought it was like you, I have a signed boxed copy of it that you signed at PAX East and she was like, I don't remember doing that because that's been so many people in so long. But like, there's only so many folks that have the boxed version of it. Um, so I like, I love that. I love the idea of it. I love that it feels like a love letter to a thing that I really enjoy mm -hmm. and I get to play. Um, the other one was just super wacky and super fun. It was called Our Flag, Me Our Flag Means Kiss. And it was... <laughs> pirate, the gay pirate game. It was a gay pirate game. And it was fucking fun. 
it's a GM list, and we did fuck the rules up a little bit when we played it. We recognized that later. Um, but like it was fine. We had a super fun time with it. Like it was just being goofy. It's with it being GM list, and you have a mechanic to like add complications at any point. It's like something's going well. Let me draw a card. Fuck you. It's a seven of diamonds. What does that mean? We have like a tornado of seagulls ripping apart our ship at one point. And like, and again, like it was one of those things, like I think I appreciate the like love letters to a franchise where like they might not have the rights to call it the thing, but you just like, they do such a good job of capturing the spirit of the thing. And like, I just greatly, greatly appreciate that. Um, Ryan Masa, you have one or two more you said? Yeah. Uh, three now now that you mentioned things that have like the spirit <laughs> of but don't have the, the right spirit spirit. Um, okay the right, so the first one real quickly to go over the one that is not the one that has the spirit but doesn't have the rights uh lumen is oh, basically lumen. just uh it was built yeah. out of what was essentially super definitely not destiny tm um uh mm-hmm. and as a, a person who owns several of the raid rings like a loser i love that game so like i love that it's a fun game to play i, I really played a fantasy it. i played a fantasy game called ether which is powered by lumen and yep. it is oh yeah it was so the original good. one was uh light which was what they did which was a like destiny hack essentially mm-hmm. so that one uh the other two i wanted to, to touch on really quickly are this one is more because i have a soft spot for both the ip and the system that it would be that system be, will become is the dresden files rpg which later became Ooh. part of the fate core uh for people yeah. i love fate so much oh. um speaking of any mechanics if you ever get a chance to try the swashbuckling hack and the way that that uses uh it's it uses stress as a mechanic to sort of indicate like whether you're in or out uh the swashbuckle mechanic makes it so you can't deal stress to somebody unless you have what's called the upper hand which you can gain through almost any way possible by being better with a sword than them by insulting their mother so hard that they lose focus any, <laughs> literally any way that you get advantage gives you the upper hand and so you can and that, yeah, that feels like monkey it feels like monkey island rules like you got to insult yeah. <laughs> them in order to win the, the sword fight yeah it's yeah. monkey island rules it's uh like princess bride that feeling of like yes. oh well we are evenly matched but what if i told you haha and then you continue on and go that way and now you have the upper hand until someone else reveals they are also not left-handed i um, have i have so much fate but... oh you know what is an ip that is also mm. fate uh mm. it kind of stretches what ip is are any of you familiar with monster rangers or Steve, <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah, 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 yeah. They have their uh, own fate. It, it Obscura is its own campaign setting now. Yep. I backed the Kickstarter. It's a great setting. Uh, they're these cute little. They're very similar to the. Uh, they're little like camping guides, like the ones you used to get in Boy Scouts. Yeah, and that is what the game is on, and it's super cute. And they've got really cool like uh, fate dice that came with the Kickstarter, and that really. It. That, I am so proud of them because it, like they. I watched him like slowly kind of like build the world and then all of a sudden it was a role-playing game and I was like whoa I knew you were (laughs) I knew knew they were nerds I knew you were cool but dang uh, well I would see Uh, them at Comic-Con every year at their booth mm -hmm. in San Diego so I literally like like they don't do Comic-Con anymore after everybody knows why but like now they have like all this cool gaming stuff and I'm like oh I wish you'd all done this when I saw you once a year (laughs) like but it's all good. Uh, Ray what was you had? We said you had one more. Yeah, what was uh, the other one? Yeah, so now it's two. Um, 
I keep remembering things based. Uh, one of the things I think was really cool from a mechanics point of view in terms of asymmetrical player gameplay, mm-hmm. uh, Die, which was a recently one, uh, mm. uh, which oh. was, I think, based off the webcomic. Every player yeah. class has completely different mechanics and uses a completely different die than everyone else. Um, it's very weird. It's a wild, weird game um, that I highly recommend you check out just to see the way they took the various sort of like archetypes from that web, from that comic and turned it into a weird asymmetric player game. So there's that one. Um, and then also my personal love of uh, the expanse, uh, which is based mm. off of the age system from green Ronin. Um, it does. It's pretty normal age stuff. Uh, then it adds, I think one of my favorite mechanics ever, which is the churn, which is every time players do something, they sometimes have a chance to add to something called the churn. And as mm-hmm. it ticks up and ticks up and ticks up and ticks up, it has the chance to go off when it hits certain milestones. And that's just the, oh, and you thought everything was fine at the end of the episode of every, <laughs> you know, every season of The Expanse, uh, where something new and absolutely obnoxious comes in to fuck with you. And I think though that I think that particular adjustment took age from being like okay pretty bog standard sci-fi uh, like world setting to feeling like the expanse when I played that and it was yeah uh, I it also it didn't help that we played it I played it first on a stream uh and um, one of the things that we could do you people could do was donate to the churn pool uh we were on a passenger liner from uh from earth to series our ship exploded at the end of episode one because that's how high the churn got. But like, that is so buck wild to be like, yeah, you know, it's again, that was the expanse. You're on a big ship and now it's blown up. Good luck. Like yep. that's, that's the whole, Ooh. that's the whole thing. Okay. And it was I, great. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I, my uh, GM for the blue rose campaign I play out on Mondays is talking about, Oh, I found this new mechanic in the expanse and we should do this thing. And I'm like, that sounds like a clock towards disaster. Maybe not. <laughs> it is in fact, literally a clock towards disaster, <laughs> but in the best way. Right. <laughs> All right, so I think what we're going to do, because I'm, I'm keeping it on time, and I want to make sure we're keeping this to everyone everyone's time. So I'm going right, to, we'll make... do one, we'll do one more round. Of, okay. If there's one other indie game you wanted to make sure you got to mention on this. Uh, okay, okay. Um, all right, let's, we'll do this, we'll just do this in screen order. So same way we did intros, it'll be Starshine, Hector, Ray, Raimosa, Raimasa. Uh, Starshine, hit me with what's a game you want to you want to like mention that you love. I want to know that this is my list. For this is so long. I literally just had to roll on my phone to pick <laughs> one because I would feel bad. So uh, I'm actually going to have one new uh, good bad banwa. I'm probably saying that slightly wrong because my accent does not agree with it. A really good Southeast Asian setting based on this. Yep. A really good combat setting that kind of nails that sort of a wuxia kung fu kind of vibe. Really fun. Um, it just kick started so. But the first edition they did of it was just amazing. I would recommend it even as a coffee table book, to be fair. If you just want yeah. a rundown of that era's myths, go for it. I that's when I said earlier that I have games that I want to do for the pod, but I don't think that they would be it that it, a one shot would not do it proper justice. That is literally what like the game that I was that's, basically meaning. Because mm-hmm. I want to run it at and so it's just, bad. It's just so would be so perfect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm I that's a, that's something that I might throw in for like maybe another season for like a mini campaign where like we do it yeah. a couple times. Cause I just, that it's, there's too much there and it's too good to not give it the full breath that it deserves. Um, Hector, what do you got? Hit us with a game. I have ink from Snowbright studios. 
Uh, it is all about playing characters who are dead in the yeah. underworld. And you are kind of navigating this ocean of like inky substance. And you, you know, take little boats from island to island. You pick up things. You go to these little coffee shops run by baristas who are like, mm -hmm. who were also ghosts who have decided, you know what? I just want to make coffee for people to feel better in this boring afterlife. And, um, you go on adventures and you fight and you try to find a way out of this purgatory. Um, and it's interesting because if you die, you go back to the temple that you started from at the beginning of your journey. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's got sort of like a Dead Souls uh, roguelite kind of aspect to it. Um, but every single time you pass away, you become more powerful. Yeah, every, um, and, and, and the game encourages you, TPKs. Like yes, it, wants it does. A, every time you get a TPK fighting like a more powerful like entity in the underworld of Ink, uh, you get a supercharge and like you know it you you level up even more. So like yeah. you can like if just one person dies, yeah, you'll level up. But if you all die in like a big battle, and they call it TPK, it's actually like a mechanic in the game is if you get a TPK, everybody gets even more powerful. You get, like, double the amount you normally would if just one of you died. Uh, yeah. And then you can either dial it up and play it as, like, a really kind of crunchy, intense, dark hex crawl, or dial it down and sort of turn it into, like, a chill narrative fantasy where you just go from island to island and kind of contemplate your life. And it also gives you a chance to play characters that died in previous campaigns. The system is rules, the setting is rules neutral enough that if you mm -hmm. had a character die in a long running campaign, regardless of what the system is, you can recreate the character in ink. Yeah. Uh, and for if that sounds super exciting to anybody, I encourage you to listen to season two, episode one, where we played ink. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I will say like I, smooth, I, and, and, smooth. That's and that's another one where I we definitely messed up some rules, but we had a good time. So it was whatever. Yes. Um, but it is, and it's it's written by uh, a queer studio. It's super fun. The art in it is just beautiful and cozy and delightful. So um, and that studio has a couple other games out that are like just very cozy and adorable. Mm -hmm. um, if that's your, uh, tea, if that's your I, I believe Tea Time Adventures is going through a Kickstarter yes. right now. It's like should be towards the end. Snowbright Studio is yep. doing really amazing work. And I would have felt bad getting through uh, this podcast and not giving them a shout out. <laughs> uh, all right, Ray, what do you got for us? All right. Um, this one I want to spotlight because it falls in line of like simple enough that I love it. And also the concept is just chef's kiss. Um, it's called Riley watch. I think I'm pronouncing oh, that right. Uh, it's by third chair games and hedge mage press. Um, it is Baywatch meets the call of Cthulhu. <gasps> so you're all super sexy lifeguards and you're stuck like trying to stop the forces of the deep from getting to the surface, but also you have to deal with stuff like drug dealers. And sometimes those drug dealers happen to be cultists. So <gasps> there's lots of fun there. As you do. As you do. Why did I miss this? Oh, Ryleth watch. Okay. Yes. I get it. Good. It took me a minute. Yeah, uh... it's great. It's based off of the Tricube tail system. And it's just, it's so good. I, I love it. I, 
I am waiting to find a good group to run it with. And now that Thanksgiving break is up here for me, um, you know, I'm going to be jumping into this. So, yeah, I believe I believe you're recruiting some of us from our uh, from our discord to do it. Yes, I absolutely <laughs> remember that. I didn't say a day, did I? No, you just said over Thanksgiving break. OK, nice. It's right now, <laughs> right now, today, tomorrow. Um, all right, Ryan Masa, what do you got? Uh, I was trying to figure out a way to introduce this game, so I'm just going to do it this way, and you're all going to have to deal with it. Yeah. From the studio, Riverhouse Games, that brought you games like the Ecopunk Belonging Outside Belonging game, This is a Game About Fishing, to the game Hot Gay Bro Dragons, to the game Breakup on Rienchi, comes one of my favorite beer and pretzels props TTRPGs, Let These Mermaids Touch Your Dick, Maybe. And there. Yep. I will, and without, I will explain nothing about this game, but I will tell you what they tell you you'll need. A large dildo with a suction cup, the floppier, sparklier, and bigger the better. A pack of glitter, edible glitter if possible, it's easier to clean. Bananas, like a bunch of them. A CD of ocean music, preferably with a smooth jazz backing track. And some of those floppy jelly hand flapper things, one to a person, like the kind you loop around a finger and can stick to things. That's it, that's the game. It's on itch.io. It's, I think, $10. Have at it. It's so fucking funny. Oh, my God. I I can't follow that. Like, I can't. <laughs> that's, that's such a strong I, note to close on. Yeah. Such a strong note to close on. I think um, Raleigh Watch can, can go with that one. I think we can just do one session right into the next. So let Cthulhu touch your dick, maybe. Oh, goodness. Good, good, good. You gave us a link because um, I'm like, I don't know if I have the wherewithal to type all that out. Um, okay. All right. I'm trying to think, like, I was like scrolling through my, I'm literally like, I'm like, I'm going to ask everyone what other game they want to talk about. Oh, I'll just do the one that I'm surprised I haven't brought up already. Um, the one that one of my favorites, and it's like a stupid fun little game. Um, and because I'm a horror fan, it like leans into all my favorite horror tropes and all of those things uh, is a game called Slasher Flick. Oh, it is I've it's from that. Spectrum Games, which I'm not sure if they're even making stuff anymore. I don't think I've seen anything from them in a minute, but yeah. it's it's just like it's silly, it's tropey. You get the more you play into horror movie tropes, the more points you get to spend later to save your ass. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, and I mean the way the game is designed is it's supposed to turn into like a meat grinder and you can't turn you can't beat the the bad guy until there's a literal final girl. Um, final girl, boy, non-binary, etc. Final person. Yeah. Um, but like that's that's mechanically that's how it's supposed to work. I always love the rules a bit because I'm like, it's like if I kill someone an hour into playing, that won't be as much fun for that person because there's nothing for them to do. Um, and I'd rather just have some expendable NPCs that they have control over, uh, to bring into scenes and watch get murdered. But like, it's it's a super easy, like super dice light i think it's like you depending on your stats you roll a certain dice for them it's about matching it's not about high numbers low numbers whatever so oh. it's really just roll some dice tell me what your match is good you're great um but if you play the rules if you as as hector as you were saying you were a very rules follower if you play these rules strictly you will absolutely brutally murder all of the people at the table <laughs> Like one hundred percent, and there's like I want to do a day where like I literally just do it. like I just like let's Hard play. Mode. I'm gonna just like no holds barred. I'm playing the rules as written. Um, 
but I just haven't done it yet because every time I run it, I just like having fun and we do silly things. Um, oh. I did one where it took place. It took place in Provincetown and it was a big oh. gay adventure and it was ridiculous. There's always and there's always an opening kill scene. So you get to narrate like an opening kill scene for it. Oh. And that's where we introduced oh. our favorite NPC whose grinder profile name was just a hole. All right. Well, thank you all for being here. Um, I'm going to do, we'll go reverse order. So we'll start with Ryamasa and work our way back. Yes. Uh, and this is my standard question of, if you'd like to be found on the internet, where can people find you? Uh, so uh, take it away. Yeah. So right now, if you wish to find me on the internet, you can find me uh, for as ever long as it lasts at the horrible uh, Bluebird Hell site that is the crashing, burning Twitter. Uh, you can find me over there at Ryamasa, R-Y-0-M-A-S-A, because even though it's crashing and burning, that one burner account from Japan still has my goddamn username. Uh, that's all right. It's fine. No worries. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, it's not a problem. Um, usually I'm on there talking about TTRPG shit and cowboy shit. So yeah, enjoy. Uh, Ray, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, I'm also on the website known as 10, uh, as <laughs> at Mr. Underscore Ray underscore RPG. Uh, I'm also on Blue Sky, just Mr. Ray. Uh, I'm on itch. Um, you can find me at Mr. Dash Ray dot itch dot IO. I make games. A lot of them are wild and goofy, like, you know, a bunch of Owen Wilsons across the multiverse get together to stop the end of the world. It's called Apocalypse Wow. <laughs> um, that is so good. That is so good. I thank can't... you. Thank you. That's uh, that was from the very deep well of my depression. So I hope you enjoy. Do uh, whatever then, you need to do. Yeah. And then also I have a Monster of the Week podcast called Two Dollar Creature Feature. Uh, highly recommend it. Um, start with season two. You're gonna love it. All right. Uh, Hector, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, yeah, Hector, you can find Hector at Okami on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, and Tumblr. Uh, I do have an itch at Okami. I have about three games published. Please check them out. Uh, they're fine. Uh, and Mondays, I'm over on Greater, Greater Restoration playing Blue Rose. Uh, Tuesdays for now, I'm over at... Uh, I'm going to be at Nerds with Dice running a wander home uh powered by wander home folklore punk fantasy called the north star uh, uh tuesdays throughout november and then on wednesdays until the end of the month i'm going to be over uh misfits uh the excuse me the misadventures league uh where we are playing a game i should have mentioned during the podcast which is kids on bikes mm. um and uh we're doing a, a 90s uh early 90 late night mid 90s um northern uk uh and i'm playing a you know puerto rican foreign exchange student in northern england in the 90s so uh please join us uh join me there uh, on wednesdays and starshine i'm on pretty much every point of the internet to probably be on doordash by this time next week as well uh <laughs> i'm on the pp soak heck PP soaked heck hole that is Twitter X or whatever we're calling it this month at Starshine Scrib because a damn burner account not from Japan. Uh, you can also just find me on my website, starshinescribbles.com, which has links to everything. So whatever social media site has died and risen by the time this is out, just go there and there'll be a link to it. Yep. And I will have links to all folks' social medias in the show notes. So feel free to click around. 
Um, I'm going to try and also compile some of the highlights of the games you talked about, but we, I think we covered about a hundred. Mm-hmm. So we did we'll do our best. I'm guessing. I'm sure. I feel like we rattled off a bunch of games. Yeah. I, I wasn't tracking, but um, anyway, so for the, for our pod, if you're listening to us, wherever you find your podcasts, uh, you can find the queer, queer experience at the queer XP on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, blue sky, um, as long as all those sites are available and anytime something new pops up, I will try and claim my, my username. Uh, and then the what's coming up next, because everyone likes to know what's coming up next. Uh, so the the rest of the rest of the we'll do the rest of the, the year. So it's a quick run through. We have our first full Legacy Life Among the Ruins actual play game. Uh, after the, uh, the following week, we have a actual play of Delta Green. Um, that is going to be run by one of our pod uh, special guests, Juicy Garland, who is, we're recording this weekend, and she is absolutely finding ways to torture and to destroy us. Uh, we're playing Blood Neon Atomic Shock, uh, as the new, Atomic Shock is the new DLC that has just dropped for Blood Neon. Um, it is grungy vibes of punching things and basically causing chaos, and I'm really fucking excited. Uh and then the last two things we're going to do our holiday or we're going to do a, a recording about emotional moments in video games. So things Ooh. that got you worked up. And then our last episode is going to be a holiday edition of the tabletop game Visigoths versus Molgoths. Oh, lovely. Yeah. It's going to, ha- there's going to some, there's going to be mall Santas abound. That's, That's all I great. know so far. Um, <laughs> But that's everything coming up on the docket for us. I know it's a lot, but that's the rest of the year. Um, and then we'll take a little bit of a break and reset and get ready for January. But again, thank you all to my guests for being here. I appreciate you all coming in and chatting. Uh, everyone who's listening, go find them on the internet. If they have things for sale, buy their things. Um, because what's a better way to show appreciation than giving everyone your money? So on that note, bye everyone. Have a good week. 